Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you, giggly head? How are you, man? <laughs> I'm good, thanks. Very good. It's good, to, it's good. Good to know. Good to know. How are you doing there? It's David uh, with Giggly uh, Davis here. Uh, all is good. I hope in your world you're getting the Christmassy feeling. You're going out, restaurants are open, John, bars are open. Pubs, pints. Pints are open. Crisps, Crisps gastro pubs. <laughs> it's all it's all ahead of us. It's all good. How's it's life? all good. Life is good. Life is good because we're back open and we're up and running again. And do you know what we I got a phone call yesterday? Oh. Bernie. <gasps> Bernie Sanders is coming on the podcast. Is he? Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. We're just gonna get a slot now over the Brilliant. next couple That's of days. Fantastic. Yeah, no, yeah. so it's great. And that'll be really interesting. So again, you know, years ago, Bernie came over to the book festival in Dorky, just chatted, chit-chatted, chit-chatted, ch- chatted for ages. He was really mm, good fun. He was. And then he asked me to come over and be on his institute, the Sanders Institute, uh, yeah. which is, you know, a think tank of all sorts of different punters. Yeah. And so I just, you know, I zapped him. I just texted him. I texted his missus, actually. And she came back and said, yeah, Bernie, would love be, to do it. It'd be great to get his take on, because remember we talked a few weeks ago about how the left lost. Yeah. The left in America, that is. And get his take on it. Well, why don't we do it? And also, by the way, if you're, if you're following us on Patreon and you have a question you want to ask Bernie, zap them in on Patreon in the next couple of days and I will ask your question to Bernie Sanders. Great idea. Actually, and speaking of questions... We got a question in from Troy Tyson, and he was talking about our episode last week when we were talking to Martine Lestowe and all things Argentina and Maradona. He says, really good episode, lads. Thanks, Troy. Any books in Argentina that you'd recommend? Troy, how are you doing there? Yeah, this is, a, this is another thing that, uh, just so you know, on Patreon every week, we have a Q&A session, and the questions come in, and what we've decided to do is answer some of those questions on air. So, Troy, how are you doing? On Argentina, culturally, if you really want to read about Argentinian culture, anything by Borges, the Argentinian Nobel Prize winning novelist, anything by him will give you a sense Borges. of... Borges. Borges, okay, <laughs> will give you a sense of deep Argentinian culture, which, again, as, our, as, as Martin was saying, 
is this layered upon layered upon layered of immigrants who came in various different waves. So it is a fascinating story. But on the economics, Troy, I'll tell you, the best book to understand all those dynamics on Argentina and how it all came to a head in the 1990s and the massive, massive crisis they had in 2001 is The Return of Depression Economics by Paul Krugman. It's a lovely little book. Again, Krugman writes beautifully. It's a short book. It's 130-odd pages. And there's a fantastic description of the trap, the monetary trap that Argentina finds itself in. And it feeds off a chapter on Mexico and a chapter on Brazil. It's a lovely little book. So have a read of that. Paul Krugman, you know, winner of the Nobel Prize for Economics. We know all that. The Return of Depression Economics. There's also a great movie called The Motorcycle Diaries. Actually, I haven't watched it in a, in a while. Che Guevara. It, it's about Che Guevara before he became kind of the Che Guevara, going around with his buddy, basically on a road trip. Yeah. And kind of looking at we should Argentina. Do that. Oh, man, I'd love to on do that. On a motorbike. Yeah. And well, Vespas. Uh, yeah. Because that's Tremor, like mods. Vespa. <laughs> a fair twanky car, actually. By the way, we're going to have this Q&A every second week. So, again... Support us on Patreon. You're going to miss out if you're not in. And zap your questions in there. And again, what I was saying, just a special special one for Christmas is questions for Bernie. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. <laughs> What's on your mind, my friend? Anyway. Mr. Angry on the 7A. Yeah, there I am. Actually, there was a great episode, brilliant interview with your man, Andy Haldane, on Tuesday. Now, let's pick up on a few of his points because they were very interesting. Yeah, they were but, good. Particularly, like, there's loads of stuff and we can go over them all, but we'd be here for hours. But I'm particularly interested in this whole concept of meritocracy and the tyranny of meritocracy. This is all relatively new concept for me. First highlighted on this podcast when talking about how the Democrats went wrong and where they went wrong in the States. And I started thinking about that going, yeah, I can actually see that. But then Andy was talking about the tyranny of meritocracy as well. 
And, and, and yeah, it makes a huge amount of sense. But let's talk about it, that a bit. It's kind of counterintuitive. Like, so Andy was talking about it in the context of Brexit. Mm. He's trying to find out straws in the wind as to, he sets out like there was income inequality in the UK, generational inequality in the UK, yeah. and what he called spatial or geographical inequality. So basically you have rich and poor, mm. young and old, north versus south, those big divides. Yeah. And he says, on top of that is a resentment on the part of one part of society against another, right? Yeah. And it's this is, I think, the coming battle in democracies. And it is between the meritocracy, people who believe, and let's put it this, this, people who believe they're special, right? Yeah. That they are the special ones. There's so the, 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 the sort of Mourinho's of mm. the professional classes, the special ones, right? And what he's saying is that he goes back to a book, and I think we might have even mentioned this book. It's by Michael Young, right? And Michael Young he's, was a Labour Party. Yeah, we did. We did at, at one of the episodes. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you follow English journalism, Toby Young, I think is his son, who is a, a, an English right. columnist and, and okay. an opinion maker. Anyway, this book was written. It's, it's, it's extraordinary when you, when you think about it, right? So the, the book is called The Rise of the Meritocracy. Now, most people, John, believe meritocracy, okay, you get there on merit, that's good, right? Yeah, it's good. Okay. Thing. But he's saying this book was written in the 50s. Now, this is what makes it so interesting, right? This book was written in 1958. So right. A long time ago, right? And what it was was a warning from the future. So he positioned the book in 2030 and he said, be warned that a meritocratic class is going to emerge. This is the class of winners. It's like the SWAT class, right? Yeah, yeah. And they are going to run the society. And merit, he said, was IQ plus effort equals merit. So think about this, right? In the context of our leaving cert, mm, right? Mm, mm, the yeah. IQ, not EQ, not emotional intelligence, not soft skills, hard IQ plus effort equals merit. And the people who get to the very top of society based on this equation, the doctors, the lawyers, the economists, all these sort of professional classes become the top of society. And he was saying that's what they were worried about in the UK. So things, this is 1958. So they're all socialists, all the Labour Party guys, right? Of various hues. And the Socialist mm. Party, the Labour Party in England has always been a very broad church. Yeah. So you'd have like Marxists on the one side and then kind of left of centre, wishy-washy liberals on the other side. So it's big, big church, right? But they're trying to figure out what, and imagine that Britain's going through the end of empire. And it's going to the end of the aristocracy. And they're thinking, okay, for hundreds of years, land dominated. If you had land in a feudal system, you became the aristocrat and you became the boss, right? Yeah. So that was the way. And then during the Industrial Revolution, the class that emerged at the top with the merchant class, the industrial class, right? And then, of course, in England, it was complemented by the fact that they had what I would call the empire class, the people who went out to yeah, India and yeah, robbed yeah. the kip, right? Or came yeah. out here and robbed the kip, right? So these three sort of quite well-defined hierarchies and also hierarchies that understood that their success was in part luck, in part circumstantial. Just and in part the, in the circumstance right. of their birth. And yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, right yeah. place at the right time, right? So he's thinking, so he's, Young is talking about the new class that's going to come is not an aristocracy, it's a meritocracy. And this new class is going to be defined by their educational achievements. Mm. And that's what Andy's talking about. So you basically get societies run by PhDs, right? Now, the problem for this, and this is really deep, is that if you get to the top based on merit, on your own perception, yeah. right, that you're special, that you deserve it, 
two things happen, John. One is you're unlikely to have much empathy for people who don't because you can justify to yourself, well, I got here because I merit it. I'm the special one. Yeah. And I worked hard. Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah. And I yeah. worked hard. So I was bequeathed with this IQ and then I worked my ass off yeah. and now I have everything. So if you're on the top and you're unempathetic, that's very dangerous. And he makes a point. It's very interesting in the book. Michael Young makes the point is that the aristocracy, right, kind of knew, like if you're a chinless wonder, right? <laughs> and, and red trousers. And red trousers, yeah, exactly. And a blazer, right? Right, yeah, that it was yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're right. So in a way, they have this, remember what the Tory party in England had, which is this one nation idea, that we're kind of jammy because we're aristocrats. Yeah. And consequently, ours, the noblesse oblige, is that the... Uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That the noble, they have some obligation to the state, right? Because they just got lucky, right? Yeah. <laughs> so in a way, in a way, the aristocracy had some sort of notion of luck, right? But they, what he's saying is that, and of course, the industrialists had notion of luck yeah. as well because they understood dynamic screen workers and innovation and all that stuff. And the colonialists thought, well, we're the jammiest of all. <laughs> we just happen to be born in the country that owns the world, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they had a much more integrated view of the society and the role of luck. Now, if you have an aristocracy that emerges called a meritocracy, where there's no luck, as far as they're concerned. It's all hard work. It's all hard work yeah. and natural ability. What you find then is one thing is they don't have the empathy for the people below them, but the people below them, the people who fail in society, therefore, feel it's my fault. Because if it's a meritocracy and I didn't get there on my own merit, there's something wrong with me. Yeah. And that breeds a seething, seething resentment. Now, the best way to look at this is through the lens of our mate Tom Frank. Okay. Absolutely, yeah. He was talking about this. And, and and the thing is that America is the ultimate in meritocracy. You know, it's all the American dream is based on anybody can do it if you work hard enough, if you get that education, you get the SATs or whatever they call yeah. them over there, and you get into university and work hard. You know, yeah. you can you can be president. Well, it worked for Donnie. <laughs> it worked for Donnie. But as Donnie said. I love the uneducated. Well, this is the point, right? So if you think about the Democratic Party, and I'm going to talk about it here because Fine Gael is the meritocratic party here in Ireland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's a very dangerous position that they find themselves in. And I think they're going to have to dance around that particular pin to try and embrace something broader, okay? But back to it. The Hillary Clinton Democrats allied with three extraordinary parts of America, right? The Democratic Party became the party of merit. Yeah. Right. He, Andy, was talking about Tony Blair having the Labour Party. New Labour was a meritocratic project. Yeah. But yeah. the Clinton Democrats were one. So the Clinton Democrats decided, you know this working class base we have, Irish, Italian workers, you know, in the cities, mm. we're going to forget them and we're going to become the party of hedge fund managers. So Hillary Clinton, basically, in her last three days, it was an alliance between Wall Street, the Democratic Party, Wall Street, Silicon Valley and Hollywood. Yes. Right. Yeah, so you know yeah. all these like movie stars. Now, if, if you're if you're looking at someone like George Clooney, for example, mm. it's a, it's an out of this world proposition for the average dude to think I can be like him. No, you can't, right? Yeah. yeah if yeah, you're yeah. looking at a hedge fund manager, a billionaire, again, it's like this is not your world. Or if you're looking at the guys from Google supporting the Democrat Party, you know, you're thinking, well, this is not my world. So suddenly, the meritocracy that the Democrats involve themselves in becomes the elite, John. And this is then the narrative. Mm. That's the elite 
who are supporting these guys. And we, the people, the average guy left behind, is left behind. And as I've always said, John, people in a democracy might not have a stake, but they have a vote. This is the balancing. This is the great balancing of democracy. Has a vote. And they vote with Brexit and they vote against you know the elites, and that's what happens. It's it's yeah, it's the, the as you're saying the the brewing resentment yep. of the the non-university students. It's the it, non-university, yeah. it's, but it's even getting. It's, if you look at even in Ireland, John, right? There's a huge now hierarchy in universities between the various universities. So it's not just good enough to go to university. The points race in Ireland and the leaving cert structure reinforces the meritocracy all the time. So kids are getting this idea of merit being driven into them at a very young age. Now, and the kids who don't do well in school, who go to school but are falling behind for no fault of their own in many cases, yeah. they feel really resentful of the annual jamboree. You know, it's great to celebrate people's intelligence, but this idea of photographs in the Irish papers of somebody get 500 points or 600 points, mm. you know, so you're, what you're doing is you're, not only are you celebrating it, but in celebrating that type of brain, you're penalising the other people. You're saying you are not meritous of this. And it's I, a tricky one, though, because... It is a tricky one. You know, you, you, you have to... Like, if somebody works hard and does well, you know, fair play to you. But, you know, we we got to be careful. It's a very fine line because you don't go to university. That's not as in your fault. It's not wrong. It's not bad. It's just a different path. So I think we've got to be very careful about creating this. It kind of tears society apart in many ways. Oh, yeah. You know, the haves and the has, have-nots is not based purely on money. It's based on education. i tell you what we'll do. We'll divide it into this, what I call them is the exam-passing class. Yes. Okay, okay that might a really, be a better way right, of putting right, it. Yeah. That's, that's what we're talking about. So there is a class that can pass exams. And, you know, I'm in it. I was good at exams, right? Okay, so it's an exam-passing class. If the exam passing class gets to the top and they're defined by their ability to pass exams, which is what actually is the issue, then what you do is you overburden that class with the responsibility for people who are not good at passing Mm. exams. We've often talked before about how how brains develop differently at different stages and different speeds. Absolutely. And also some incredibly agile, brilliant, dynamic brains just don't get exams. Yeah, you know, yeah, just yeah. don't get them. Like when you meet, you meet, and I mean, certainly, you know, we, I know this in in, in this family because because of Lucy's dyslexia. She just mm. she looked at me in fact, exam. She's like, "What's yeah, yeah, all about, yeah. man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to sing for a living. Yeah. I don't want to do. I don't want to quote Shakespeare. <laughs> that, that's not for me." And you could see her head going, "Man, yeah, you yeah, know." Yeah. So what you have is you have this extraordinary cleavage between the exam passing class. And the rest, but what it does on societal levels is it bequeaths status to certain individuals and denies status for others. Yeah, and that's the fundamental issue, I think, because everybody wants to count. Everybody, the whole sense of being a human being is that I am here. I can make a difference. I am an important person. I have something to say. And if you rob people of status, and you rob people of the right to communicate that. And you say, mm. well, in actual fact, you're a second-rate citizen. Why? Because you didn't do your leaving cert and yeah. go on and do a master's and yada, yada, yada. And actually, John, it's very old, this... Go on. Let's go to Aristotle. Why not? Do you remember? We were talking... Remember I was talking to you about 
Plato and Aristotle last week. Yes. Right? Okay. The Socratic the, the Socratic That's way it. of talking, right? The Socratic but, way of talking. But the Greeks' whole idea, Greek philosophy, is this idea of know thyself. Who am I? Yeah. Who, who am I, the deep person, right? But they're also, their idea was also this idea of the polity, right? Of the citizen, of the informed citizen, right? And at the informed citizen, the informed citizen was somebody who believed in the common good. And this is what, I'll, I'll read you mm. some, some stuff, right? You know, the critical thing for societies, John, is this notion. And Aristotle's politics is a defense of the values that make the citizen at the center of society. Mm. And those values are all about common values, community values. So the good citizen in Greece was a virtuous person, wasn't a slotty person. That was a characteristic, yeah. it wasn't a value. And I can tell you something that's always struck me about the difference, I might have talked to you before about, between resume qualities, CV qualities, yeah. and eulogy qualities. I've been never noticed at funerals. As we get older, John, I'm more... Yes, we go to more and more. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, what I'm interested in is what people say about you at your funeral and what you put on your LinkedIn page, okay? <laughs> Go on. Now, listen to me, right? So on I don't your, have first-hand experience. I don't. Not, 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 yes. Not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Of neither. <laughs> right. But if you think of what you put, people put on their LinkedIn page, the qualities that they project. Mm. I'm assertive. I'm a very good executor. Yeah. I'm yeah. single-minded. I am driven. I am ambitious. Yeah. Think about it. And there are all these qualities that we say, oh. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's sort of but many hobbies too. Have many hobbies, right? <laughs> but think about single-minded, task-orientated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's focused, good. driven, ambitious. Right. So they're the CV virtues. But then when we die, what do people say about us? They say, "Was he kind? Was he decent? Was she a good person? Yeah, good point, yeah. Was she generous? Right." So if you nobody gets up in mass in church <laughs> and says he was driven. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, he was very tough. He's very tough. That's John Do you know what I mean? Like the priest is there, the vicar or whatever. And he say, was good in the team, but also he was good as an individual. He was working. Good as, exactly. And but that idea, you know, that you know, he was he was ambitious. Yeah. You don't get up and say, your man who's freaking warm in the grave. He was ambitious. What you say is, so the qualities that we like to be remembered by, these are quite different from the qualities that we project in yeah, life, yeah. right? And the Greeks were all about citizen, generous, decent, kind, soft ideas, yeah. you know, giving his or her time to other people, helping people, being a, a, you know, a good presence, a good spirit, a, a good, having good vibes around them, yeah. right? Funny, witty, you know, these are the things that we say about people when they die. And I think that the problem with the meritocracy is it takes those LinkedIn characteristics and elevates them as being the be-all and end-all. And it denigrates the very characteristics that humans want to be actually yeah. remembered by. And this is a conflict. But that was the whole idea of universities in the first place, wasn't it? It wasn't to be driven and to... Task-orientated. Task-orientated <laughs> and, and points. It wasn't all about points. It was about kind of self-exploration. Yeah. It was about understanding, broadening your mind. Yeah. I always see, it, it always Think, of, think of the word universe. Yeah. Like where yeah. did the university come from? Yeah. It's yeah, the yeah. word, it's the universe, it's out there, it's the great thing, that's where it comes from. Yeah. So you, to try and create a universal person, 
Whereas you're absolutely right. What a lot of universities now are to create what I call them sometimes uh, some academics that I, I, I meet. They're really nice people, but they end up knowing more and more about less and less. Yeah, well, that's it. And they end up knowing everything about nothing at the end. So yeah. my specialist is, you know, that's why I've always thinks in economics, you should have more GPs and less brain surgeons. Yeah. You know, you're generalists to say, yeah. oh, I can figure that. But, you know, so so that even if you think of, you know, um, you might, there's a thing in academia called peer-reviewed papers. Yeah. Right? Which is the be-all and end-all. And you end up hyper-specialising. So not only do you move away from the universal, the universe idea, yeah. you actually go to the microscopic and you end up being a microscopic person yeah. rather than a universal quantum person. Quantum level. Yeah, exactly. But it was self and JM were talking about this earlier and he used the phrase of, or he used the expression of, you know, you used to go to university to learn, to grow, to broaden your mind, all the rest. Now you go to university to optimize yourself. It's about efficiency. Yeah. It's about kind of doing the best you can. I always look at these kind of things. Is the analogy of trees and forests. You know, if you have you people, do. people packed together, you know, competing like conifer forests, you tend to get very straight, narrow trunks, tall trees. Whereas you look at an oak tree that grows slowly, but is much rounder and bigger, just kind yeah, of represents... and more beautiful. And more beautiful. Just represents that kind of, that difference between the optimization in university and the self-exploration and, you know, broadening the mind. So that we should say, so I don't think you're right. I like the metaphors. We're mm -hmm. good at metaphors today. Mm -hmm. yeah. So universities should be called microversities. Yes, yeah, yeah, Not yeah, yeah. universities, yeah. but microversities, you know? Really, they should. And, and and the other point is a lot of people do university courses in order to maximise the income they think they're going to get by that credential, that piece of paper. Yeah. And it's, I mean, we're into all sorts of other stuff. Credentialism, this idea that people are mandated by somebody else, by the credentials somebody gives you. That's right. right? And yeah. that again, so if you don't have the credentials, you're not allowed to speak. Yeah, I see this on Twitter all the time. It just amazes me. What? And, uh, well, no, you, you know, if somebody, you can see people putting in their name and their handles, doctor. PhD. Or, yeah, MD or whatever. <laughs> I, I was like, get out of here. No, but the, but the danger is then, John, the other danger is that we flip to the other extreme, which is that we decide to denigrate real skill and expertise, right? Yeah. Because you need experts as well. You know, like we talked about the vaccine. You need people who understand DNA to make that stuff. So, yeah. and again, this is the, 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 there's another book on this, John. There's another book just doing the rounds now. JM's reading at the moment, which is a guy, a guy called Michael Sandel. It's called The Tyranny of Merit. What's become of the common good? And he's a Harvard professor. Mm. Same idea. But it's like everything, John. It's a balance. So on the one hand, you've got to continue to treat experts and value their expertise. And you only become expert in something with huge amounts of commitment and hard work. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you've got to also value the generalist. And it's that idea and how you do this is you make sure that you're not always celebrating the expert and you're not always suggesting the expert has all the answers. Mm. Because what we do know, certainly from sociology and anthropology and psychology and all these things, is that... The narrower the field from which you take your decisions, the more likely those decisions are going to be wrong. Because it's the wisdom of crowds, not the madness of crowds. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. is a huge wisdom in crowds. Yeah. You know, crowds tend to come to the right solution. And actually, just one last point on the dangers of this meritocracy also is this, as we were describing before, is the, the resentment on the bottom 
and the lack of empathy on the top, that in itself is the root of populism. Well, exactly, and the rise of populism, particularly in the States and particularly in the UK, yeah. right? And in the in the States and the UK, it was the difference between people from somewhere and people from anywhere. So if you think of the educated class, the educated class are, by definition, quite footloose. So they might have more in common with a similar person in Sweden or Denmark or Texas than they have with their neighbour, mm. okay? So these are people who can live anywhere. They're the cosmopolitan class. And then there's the class of people who define themselves like, I'm from Kerry, I play Ga, this is my home, this is the type of person I'm, I'm a Kerry man or I'm a, I'm a dub or I'm a... People who define themselves by their locality. And you have this, so this other conflict in populism, John, going on between the cosmopolitan class and the yeah. anchored or geographically permanent class. And that's very evident in the UK, where you've like, I'm from the north of England and you're from the south of England. So right. people yeah, who yeah, define yeah. themselves yeah. by their... People who derive status from credentials are the meritocrats, the top of the tree. And there's other people who derive status from the place they were born. That's mm. the type of person I am. But Tom Frank, remember Tom? Yeah, I do. I actually, he was we brilliant. Should get, we should get Tom on. Brilliant. Everyone loved him, actually. Yeah, no, great he's great. He's great. Him. He's great. But he argues, and this is a quote about Tom, and, and Tom's books, not just Kansas, there's mm. a great one called Listen, Liberal, Why Liberals Don't Listen. Right. Right? Because he's saying the same, the elite, I'm not going to listen to you because I know everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says, he's talking about Frank, he says, Frank argued that all the education talk distracted the Democrats from thinking clearly about the policies that had led to inequality. Noting that productivity rose during the 1980s and the 1990s, but wages did not. So in economics, wages should rise with productivity. If they're not, somebody else is making money. Frank doubted that inequality was due mainly to the failure in education. And the quote is, the real problem was one of inadequate worker power, not inadequate worker smarts. So what he was saying is that the problem in America was the trade unions couldn't leverage themselves into a position of power because they had been destroyed by Reagan. But the Democrats, rather than reverse what Reagan did, Mm. went along with that because they thought, again, we're the special people and the average guy didn't get a look in. Good stuff. Yeah. And actually, do you know, that's a point that we should uh, talk to Bernie about when we when we have him on. Yeah. I think the questions of Bernie would be long and many. Yeah. And he'll stand up for every answer. Do you remember? He did yes, that. I did. <laughs> you might have thought it was funny. I was the guy sitting on stage. Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> every yeah. time he was asked a question, he'd stand up. He'd ask and, a question uh, by me. Yeah. And then he'd get up and talk to everyone else. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like a spare prick at a wedding thinking, what am I going to do here? There's 3,000 people looking at me. What do I do? <laughs> But anyway, Andy, like he spoke about that and that was a really interesting area. But he also spoke about lots of other stuff. Like I I really liked his take on banking crisis. In actual fact, he summed up banking crisis in about 30 seconds, as he says himself. Have a listen to this. Could we see technology unbundle banks? You know, we've had now for about, you know, 800 years, we've bundled together in something called a bank, a bunch of money on the liability side and loans on the asset side of the bank's balance sheet. Now, with hindsight, that was a slightly odd thing to have done, wasn't it? Because uh, money is immediate and its value is certain and loans are long-term and their value is very uncertain. Yeah, they're just IOUs. They're just IOUs. So there's a historical big mismatch between the characteristics of the liability side of the bank's balance sheet money and the asset side 
uh, loans. And that's why we have banking crises and that's why we have banking regulation. I've just explained banking crises and banking regulation in 30 seconds uh, in terms of the stapling together of two slightly odd, slightly odd things. Proper teacher there, John. Proper teacher. Yeah. Gets to the core of the issue, says this is the thing. Let's come back to that because banking crisis, they ain't going away and we know all about it. We're not going away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get you out of the house. <laughs> but there's loads of other stuff that he was talking about. The crypto you, stuff is interesting. You know we missed the trick, of course. Yes, of course we did. Of course we did. First of September. <laughs> we're all Bitcoin at 11. We're all talking. 11,000 is now 19. <laughs> and we're even poorer than we started. <laughs> yeah. exactly. And you have no money for the Christmas presents. And the other one that we should come back to as well is, uh, we said the banking crisis. But... His whole take on technology and culture. I think that was a really interesting one. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and we will come back. And the good thing is that we are both appalling at technology and we have no culture. <laughs> there you go. See you next week. I know you're sitting there worried about what you're going to give that person you love for Christmas. Give them the gift of knowledge. With the Dave McWilliams podcast, we're going to give you, for December only, a full year's membership with a 15% discount. So, for that person you love, who loves economics, loves learning, loves the crack, loves all this carry-on, Dave McQueen's podcast, Christmas special present, patreon.com forward slash Dave McQueen's.